morning. So it's great to be with you this morning. What a blessing it is to be with you. If you will, uh, we get started. Can you hear me? The green light is on. Okay. How's that? Better? Okay. Okay. If you will, just open your Bibles to, uh, or your iPads or your phones or whatever you've got these days, right? It was just funny this morning. I'm, I'm saying, boy, I better plug my iPad in before my Bible runs out of power. When is the Bible going to run out of power? I don't know, but uh, <laughs> my mind would have. <laughs> so I, I uh, plugged it in, so I got, to, I got plenty of power. If you just open your Bibles to the, uh, with me to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 19, and I'll be, uh, I'll be reading the first uh, nine verses there of, of Exodus, uh, chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. It's funny when I used to do th- do this. I'd wait till I'd wait till I could hear the pages stop ruffling, so I knew everybody got to the right place. Now, I don't know. So, different age we're in, right? Th- things are a little different, but but hey, man, God is our God is still the same, S- still on the throne. All right, beginning in verse one. I, g- I gave you enough time. I hope you hope you used it. Yeah. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There there Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together, and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak you with you, and may also believe you forever. We'll just stop right there for a minute. Uh, I'm Beginning the story here in the, in the, they call it in media res, which is in the middle of the story. The people of Israel have been delivered from Egypt. They, uh, they, they come to the mountain. Uh, and I'll, and I'll t- tell you this, in our, in our church, we started last September reading the scriptures, and we were gonna be on a two-year program, we were going to read through the entire Bible. So each, each week we've got an assignment of what to read. And currently we're reading... We read six, six, uh, six days out of the week. Sunday we take off because inevitably we, f- we missed one day during the week, so we get a catch-up day, right? So six days. We read three chapters of the Old Testament each week, two chapters of the New Testament right now, and, and one, uh, one day we have Psalms. We read from the Psalms. It's kind of neat. And I don't know if you've ever... And I've, I used to try and read through the Bible once every year until I, w- until I got to the point where I was, oh, I'm two days late, and, I, and I'm, 
and I'm catching it up, and I'm not really reading what I was supposed to be reading. I'm just reading it so I can mark down that I read it. So, uh, and then I, there was another thing. When I got to certain books of the Bible, I would, I would kind of cheat and skip some parts, you know, like all the names and everything like that, and, and I'd, I'd kind of skip. But uh, my wife Joyce and I have been reading, that was our family devotional every evening. We've, we've been reading the Bible together, and she's been doing the reading. And uh, she doesn't skip any of them. And boy, is she good with the names. I'm, I'm reading the names. I, I don't know, but she can read the names and, and get them right every time. I, I, I'm, I'm so pleased with that. But, but when we got to the section of the law, and we got to Leviticus, I started thinking, wow, she's, she's reading this. And some of this stuff I would breeze through. But these, these are the laws that God gave them. And God is about to give the Israel the law. And I, and I have to tell you, I, I never, I, I never, this message here, I've never spent more time thinking or, or pre- trying to prepare for a message or never felt so ill-prepared to, to give a message before. And it's not that I don't have a message to give, it's just that there's so big of a message. There's so much of it. And you've got to cut pieces out and cut pieces out and try and keep, make, you know, make it still make sense. Uh, I, I could have been like uh, the, the, the Puritan uh, uh, Joseph Carroll who spent 20 years, over 20 years, preaching on the book of Job but I don't, I don't think I've got 20 years. So, uh, so we'll, we'll, try, we'll try and get to it. But I'm going to try and give you some of the big concepts of God's delivering of, of, of Israel from Egypt, God's giving the law, the promise that came with the obedience, Israel's failure to obey, the failure of all of us to obey, the success of Christ, which is great, it's a communion Sunday. That's what we celebrate, the success of Christ. Uh, our current relationship with the law as Christians, as God's people, as individuals, both corporate and individual, and in our application to the world, and God's ultimate goal realized. Sounds like a lot, huh? But we'll try and get through it. When Joyce and I started reading the, the narrative, you know, you, you start reading it in the beginning, we read uh, Genesis. It's a great narrative story, right? It's a, and, you, and you can pick up on it, and, then, and we pass through, and we get through Then we read Exodus, which is also a great narrative of Israel's departure from Israel. But we pass by this so fast when we read it. We didn't fail to realize that when when Israel entered Egypt, they entered as a family. There was only 70 of them. When they come out over 400 years later, and as we read through, you can realize there was over a million of them. So they went in as a family, came out as a nation. God had them in, e- in, in Egypt for a purpose. They, he sustained them and built them up in that period of time. But can you imagine bringing a million people, or over a million people, maybe two million people, out into the desert? It's amazing to me that they left. We're all going out into the desert. There's no food out there. There's no water out there, but they all went. And, but they saw, they saw things. They saw things in, 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 in that time that were never again seen, uh, had never been seen before, never, never be seen again until, of course, Cecil B. DeMille made the movie The Ten Commandments. 
it was in 1956. Some of you younger people probably never saw it, or, but it's a, still a great movie. I mean, when you see the walls of water on both sides of, uh, oh, my, my goodness, that was when Charlton Heston and, uh, and Yul Brenner in that. Oh, but, sorry. <laughs> Get back. <laughs> they had seen all this stuff. They, they had no food, and God gave them food. He had been feeding them. They had no water. He gave them water. He gave them the things they needed. They went out, they followed, and God took care of them and brought them to this mountain. That's where we started reading. That's where we pick it up, right here. And he's going to give them the law. At this mountain, he brought them there. Realize also, true, they had only been out of Egypt for 50 days when they get to the mountain. It had only been 50 days. These people, when they left Egypt, they had been there for 400 years, and for a good portion of that period of time, we don't know exactly how long, but they had been slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. And now they're a nation. They probably didn't come out and, and, and thinking like a nation. They probably came out scared, not knowing where they were going, not knowing what to do having no structure as their own society. They had no laws. They had no, they had no structure. All they had was they were following God. That's all they had. And now they, they come to the mountain, and God's going to give them their laws. And that, that, this is great when you start thinking about this. We read chapter uh, 19, we're reading from 19, and, and chap Exodus chapter 20 is the Asarath Hadavarim, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. Interestingly enough, uh, I, I was just buzzing through this as I'm, as I'm preparing, and uh, there's a couple of surveys, uh, uh, Electronic Arts, which makes, makes games, did a survey of how many kids could, could name the uh, Ten Commandments. 28% uh, of, the, of the children they, they, they surveyed didn't, couldn't get one of them. Very few knew them all. O less than 6% of the, of the children they surveyed knew all the Ten Commandments. Interesting, right? This is what God gave, gave to Israel, the Ten Commandments. A very important part of our scriptures. Can you name them? I'm not going to quiz you here, please. But it's a good thing to know. If you, if you still have your Bible, and, and open it up to chapter, th uh, just one page over or so, to chapter 20. I'm just going to go through them here a little bit. First commandment, the central worship of God, our God and only our God. I am the Lord your God, verse 2 of chapter 20, who brought you out of the land of Egypt into, out of the house of slavery. See, he reminds them of that. I'm the one who brought you out of the house of slavery. Don't have any other gods before me. Can you look back to when God delivered you out of that slavery? We, he has broken every chain. We just sang that. Can you look back to that day he took you out? Do you have any gods before, besides him? Or are there any in front of him do you have? 
if you have any other gods before him, you've broken number one. If there's anything that's more important to you than God, we don't set up wooden idols, but we have other things too, don't we? I always, I always loved when we used to sing that uh, song in church, in church uh, the hymn, I Surrender All. And I used to sing under my breath, I surrender some. And grudgingly. And if you take the next nine that we, we look at, just really, really quickly, we're going to go through them. Every transgression of one of the ten words, or the one of the ten commandments, begins with a transgression of the first one, to have no other gods before him. Second one, don't make any carved image or anything, any image of anything in heaven, and don't bow down and worship it. When you make an image of something, you've made it into what you think it looks like. Have you made God into something you think he looks like? I always pray this, I, God, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, you know don't you want to have a picture in your brain of who you're praying to? Sometimes I do. Third one, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Careless thoughts, what he looks like, careless words come out of my mouth. Fourth one is the longest one. Interesting. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It goes back to creation. Remember, I made the earth in six days and on the seventh I rested. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We just kind of throw that one out, don't we? This is all, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Mel Brooks, where he's coming down with the 11 commandments and he drops one of them and he goes, and he goes no, it's the 10 commandments, right? We, we, ha we have the Ten Commandments, and we drop that one, and we call it the Nine Commandments, maybe. Huh? We don't remember the Sabbath. We don't keep it holy. That's a transition one. The first three have to do with the relationship to God. Have no other gods before him. Don't make, don't make him into what you think he looks like. Watch your mouth, what you're saying about him. Only speak reverently about him. The fourth one is a transition one. Remember that I made you, he says. I, I made you, and, and then six days I made the earth. Rest on the seventh, and guess what? Everybody that works with you and for you, they're going to rest too. So that starts the relationship with other people. The fifth commandment comes in, into that too. Honor your mother and father. Uh, sixth, murder. You shall not commit murder. Not commit adultery, number, number seven. Number eight, no, don't steal. Number nine, don't lie about each other. And number ten, don't covet. All those have to do with our relationship to each other. So now just think about it. These are people that came down, came out of Egypt with no laws of their own, nothing, that had been slaves for hundreds of years, and he gives them this law. Just think about this. Perfect God brought these people there, called them his people, and gave them the perfect laws. It should have been a perfect society after that. They, he not only gave them the perfect law, he was there to help them. 
but it didn't happen that way, did it? Interestingly enough, Moses makes, and if you re read through these, these chapters of Exodus, you'll find that Moses makes seven trips up and down the mountain. The next one he makes up there is when God, and I, I always love this one too, when God actually writes with his finger on the tablets, the law, the Aserat HaDevarim, he writes it on the, on the tablet with his finger. Can, I, I can, can, can almost imagine what it must have looked like to Moses when he saw those words becoming on the, ta uh, coming on the tablet. Well, what's going on? But well, as these words are going on the tablet, on top of the mountain, what's going on down below? The people are making an idol. And they make a calf. Well, I can think of the things to worship, but a calf? Then you couldn't even make a full-grown bull? It had to be a calf. I don't, I don't, I, I mean, that's another, that's another one in, in all of it, but. So, and then we find, we find out that's a, that there's a whole history of Israel failing to keep the law. God gives them the perfect law. The perfect God gives them the perfect law, and they fail to keep it. Is the problem with the God? No. Is the problem with the law? No. Where's the problem? It's with the people. And as I said, we came in meteores, in meteores here. This goes all the we find this goes all the way back to the beginning, right? God created them, Adam and Eve in the garden. And he gave them a couple of commands. One, don't eat of that fruit. Two, be fruitful and multiply. God wanted them to make more people. And they had a perfect relationship at that time. Make, make people that God wanted to make a people that he could interface with, that he could be with, that he could walk in the garden with. And he told Adam and Eve to do that, but they failed. So he cast them out of the garden. And then we find that evil on, and, and then and you, go, you go through the first few chapters of Genesis. I'm giving you the whole thing of 10 months of us reading the Bible. I'm sorry if I'm going. Uh, but uh, <coughs> you go through the whole thing of Genesis, and you find out just before Noah, God looks down and he sees the men's minds were on evil continually. It was, they had gone wrong. So he decides, I'm going to wipe this people out. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So he says, I'm going to put him in the boat. I'm going I'm to save him and his family. Interestingly enough, you go back to this. Noah, God didn't have to save Noah. Everything would have been the same if God hadn't saved Noah. There's no record of Noah having any more children after he gets out of the ark. He took his three sons with him, right? Yeah, they were, he was, they were already married, and they, they, you know, they could have left Noah behind. And, uh, but, but God, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So Noah goes in the boat. Noah, Noah the whole earth is wiped out. Everything. Noah gets out of the boat. God gives him this virtually the same command that he gave to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What kind of people did God want to fill the earth with? People like Noah. But then we find in the very next chapter that they're not going to do that. They start to build this tower so that they can worship themselves. So he spreads them out over all the earth. And the very next chapter after that, we find out is where he picks up Abr Abram at that time. It's Abram. It's not even Abraham. And makes a promise to him, I'm going to make my people out of you. 
So you see this whole story, this huge, big story, is God trying to make a people that are his people. And the people keep failing. You go through this whole thing, you know, of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob goes into Israel, I mean, into Egypt. And the nation of Israel comes out of Egypt. It's, it's the same story. It keeps going along. He brings them to the mountain, gives them the perfect law. But they don't obey it. They can't. God still wants to make a people. For Adam failed, and all that followed him also failed. God still wanted to make a people for himself. None could meet that righteous requirement that he had. None could keep his law. And we get to Galatians chapter 4, and I'll just read it from there. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And I've heard people, I've heard people uh, tra- translate that as, oh, because Abba was the endearing term for father, and, the, and, the, and it was the more uh, formal when you said uh, uh, Abba, Father. But that's not really what it means. The Abba is the Hebrew or Aramaic ver, uh, version of father, and patir is what, what's translated as father. So it was Jews, Greeks. Both of them could call him father. Abba, the Jews, patir, the Greeks, could call him father. We have a redeemer. All of us have a redeemer. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Christ, and we just sang the songs about it today. Wow, great songs too today. For that Christ stood in the place where we could not fulfill the law. He did it. He fulfilled the law, born under the law, fulfilled the law, and did it. And in him we have become the people that God wanted to be with because of him. You back up a couple of chapters, and one of my members, I always carry, if you want to do it, uh, I always carry these around. My daughter gave them to me a while ago, the Navigators, uh, uh, memory verses. So whenever you get a free moment, you can, you can, uh, I, okay. But keep it in your brain, your, 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 your Bible. It's, it's good that it's there. It's brain, heart. Uh, it's good to have with you. But one of my memory verses is Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Christ, we've become the people that God wants to be with. Isn't that cool? <laughs> we've been set free from the law. But where does the law stand for us now? Okay, so now Christ did it. What should we do about the law? And Paul asks this question in Romans 6, 6, 6.1. He says, what shall I say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you realize what happened if if you became a Christian? 
if this applies to you, you were crucified with Christ. In him you were crucified. The old man died. Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What is the new like? What should the new be like? What should your new creation in Christ be like? We should be people that are looking to obey the law. And Christ, I mean, he brings it forth. And they asked the, when they asked him, in, and, and it's in three of the Gospels, it's in Luke, it's in Mark, and it's in, I'll give, read the one from Matthew, in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, when they asked Jesus, what are the most important commandments? And you probably know the answer to this. Uh, in verse 37, he says, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Sounds like commandment number one, and the first commandment, uh, uh, Ten Commandments, right? You'll find this also in, in Deuteronomy. This is where he's quoting it from. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, he's quoting this from here. This is the first and greatest commandment. And I, th I think, it, and the reason I picked Matthew is because he says in, in here, and the second is like it. The second one is like the first one. The second most important commandment is like the first one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So if we get these two straight, all the other ones should fall into line. We as Christians now put God before everything, everything, and love your neighbor as yourself. I could have gone to the Luke passage in Luke uh, 10, I think, I think it is. I'm pretty sure it's 10. It might be 11. Um, where the, 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 uh, the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked, okay, who is my neighbor? I, I like my next-door neighbor, but the guy two houses down, I don't care for him too much. <laughs> is he my neighbor? Well, who is your neighbor? And, and basically, Jesus gives him the story of the Good Samaritan, and that the perfect stranger was the neighbor, right? Who was the neighbor? The perfect stranger. Which basically means put everyone else before you. Love your neighbor as yourself. How much do I love my neighbors? Do I put them, I might do a little something for them, but do I love them as myself? Now, if all the laws were built like that, and we could obey them as Christians, we'd have a great society, wouldn't we? And I, 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 I don't, I'm not getting... Our society basically here was built from that ground. Not that it was perfect, not that it was good, perfectly good. But it started with a basic premise that there was a God and that we were all responsible to him. John Adams said, our Constitution was made, John Adams, the second president of the United States, also one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. Any government 
any government is inadequate for other than a moral and religious people. Because if we don't put God before everything, and you don't know that there's a God, and you don't obey the Lord because the laws because God is there, and he's the judge of the universe, and he knows what's right and wrong, and he's seeing me, whether anybody else is seeing me or not, and I obey the law because I obey him, the law won't work. No law will work unless it's based on that. I just want to read to you one thing that's kind of a, it's kind of a modern uh, example of that, and I kind of thought this was kind of neat. I don't know if you know the, any of you know the golfer Ben Crane. He was a pretty famous golfer at one point in time, and I think he's kind of gotten a little older now. But he, he once disqualified himself from a golf tournament. And he disqualified himself because, and I don't know if you, many of your golfers are he here, uh, I play golf, but I, I, my, me and my friends, we call it stinky golf because we don't keep score, and we don't, uh, if we didn't like the hole we played, we just go play it again. Uh, we always make sure we get there late in the day so there's nobody behind us uh, pushing us forward so we can always cheat. Okay. All right, all right, all right, I said it. Uh, but Ben Crane didn't want to do that, he did, so he was playing in a tournament, and he gives an explanation of why he disqualified himself. He says, I drove my ball into a hazard, into a, into a uh, sand trap, and I went to look for it. I accidentally touched a rock with my club. Now, I don't know if you, know, if, if you don't play golf, you're not, when, you, when your ball's in a sand trap, you are not allowed to touch the sand with your club until you hit the ball. You're not, you can't do it. He, he said, I abandoned the ball, so I didn't think there was a problem, but just to make sure, so basically when he says he abandoned the ball, that means the, the ball was in such a bad position that he took a, a penalty stroke, took the ball out, and put it on the, on the, on the, uh, uh, the grass again. He took it out, took a penalty stroke, put it on, which is perfectly legal. He can do that, but he took the penalty stroke. But he had touched the, he had touched the, the, uh, the rock in the, in the sand trap with his club. It bothered him. He said, I checked with the rules staff after the round. They said, even though I abandoned the ball, it was a penalty, so I disqualified myself ultimately. It had no bearing on my score or how I played the hole. But he says he read, he read a devotional by another golfer called Dave, uh, named Davis Love that morning and said, a clear conscience is more valuable than whatever is tempting you. And he said, I agree. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So his, nobody would have known. Nobody would have known that he, was, he had cheated, but it bothered his conscience. Why did it bother his conscience? Because he, was, he knew he was responsible to God. And that, this gets me, this one. I mean, when I cheat at golf, we all know we're cheating. We're not playing for any tournament. We're just about there to have fun. A bunch of guys out in the golf course having fun. We're not really competing. At least I hope we're not. And, uh, but this was a competition, and he, che he cheated. Nobody would have known. So he disqualified himself anyway because his conscience was bothering him. Do we obey the law when nobody else sees? I always love this at work. I go, I go, I'll go to work, and pe people will curse, and they'll say something, and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't know you were here. 
And I'll say, and always say to them, it's not me that will, don't worry about whether I heard it or not. God is going to be here whether I'm here or not. He'll hear you. That's, that's the whole point. So, it's, uh, so in our society today, we should build it based on the fact that we, we are responsible to God. He, we know we're responsible to him. We have a conscience. Why, why should anybody have a conscience if there is no God? If they build their society based on there is no God, there's no conscience. If I don't get caught, it's okay. And I want to hit the last one here. Are we ever going to build a, a society that's, that's perfect? No matter what we do, it's not going to work, right? We try the best we can. I think our founding fathers tried the best they could. Wasn't perfect, wasn't right. They made a lot of mistakes. They messed things up. Based, but, it was, but it was based on the right thing, I think, of, of, of there being a God, commandment number one, and that people should do the right thing. But then I started thinking about Hebrews 11, you know, the, the, the uh, faith chapter. And one of the great verses from there, you know, it goes through all these people, how, how they went by faith and they did this. Our hope isn't in this world. We're all passing through. We're not going to be here forever, but we have a place where we're going to. And that's the goal, that, and, and it's a beautiful, beautiful goal, and it comes to this picture. Now, remember this big, this big meta-narrative or this big story I'm ta talking to you about, God wanting to have his people and be with his people. He's done it for us in Christ. We're still kind of messing up. We're still... This is whole thing, and I don't, I, I can't understand it. I don't know if anybody can understand it perfectly. How I'm perfect in Christ, I'm righteous in Christ, but I still want to sin. I don't get it. I understand. I've been told the whole thing. You know, here we still have the, bo the body of you know flesh and everything. I, that's another whole sermon and whole series of studies. But it's happening. Whether I understand it or not, it's happening. I'm, I'm here. I know. I believe in Christ. I know Christ is my Savior. I know He saved me from my sins but still I want to sin at times. I have this conflict in me now, this battle inside of me. I want to be good. I want to be like Christ. I want to be like him. But the world is still calling me. But there comes that time when Jesus comes again and brings us home that that all ends. That all ends at that point. And I just want to look at this one passage. I'll read it for you. You don't even have to turn there. I'm sure you know it. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from, a throne, from the throne saying, Behold, and this is, this is, now get this line here. This is great. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. It finally comes to that full, full realization at, at that day when, 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 that, when God comes back and brings, and, 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 and 
Jerusalem comes, the new Jerusalem comes down. He brings us into that, gl that glorious position. Now he can have that full fellowship with us and we with him, we with each other. What a beautiful picture this is. In verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall, shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What a beautiful picture there. Do you get the whole story now? Starting at Adam, God wanted these people for himself. It didn't work with Adam. He failed. Cast him out. Noah. The whole world went bad. He, he found Noah. Noah he was going to make his people out of Noah. That didn't work. He was going to make his people out of Abra Abraham, or Abram at the time. That didn't work right either. They, they weren't his perfect people. In Christ, yes, we're in Christ. He's made his people. We're going home, but we're not there yet. But in that day, that's when the, the fulfillment comes. It's complete fulfillment in, in, in Christ. What a beautiful picture. So what do we do now? When Joyce and I started our reading, we did our Genesis. Uh, and we started with uh, uh, the book of John in the, in, the, in the New Testament. But we started with the Psalms, too. Psalm 1, great psalm. You ever want to memory psalm, one to, one to put to your brain? This is a good one to do. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but... His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf that does not wither. All that he does prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. What a place to begin our reading. In a world that pulls us apart in every direction, tries to drag us away from the power of the inspired, unchanging word of God, we begin by reading by our, our reading by looking at how we should view the word of God. We delight in it, right? He delights in the word of God. How we should react to it. Don't walk in the ways of the wicked. Don't walk in the ways of those whose actions and attitudes are opposed to God's word. And how we should think of it. We should be on our mind day and night. Is, the word of the, is God's word on your brain day and night, on your mind, on your heart? Are you thinking about it all the time? That's a question we should ask for ourselves. Are we as Psalm 42, 1, we got to that one too, a little later, but as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for your soul. Is that, how our, is that how our desire is for God? So we should look at that whole story, that whole thing that God is bringing together. And we're a part of that. You know, the word epic, and uh, Joyce, Joyce, I'm using you a lot today, Joyce, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> every time they say, well, this is, this is epic, they're actually misusing mis mis the word. Epic is a long poem. That's what epic is. That's what the word epic means. Look it up in the dictionary. That's exactly what it means. It's a long poem. So when someone says, this is epic, does that mean they're saying this is a long poem? Probably in Greek. Like, 
But this is the epic story of the Bible. This is it. You're part of it. We're all living in the epic story. And it's going to that place. And we should be at our position, ready for it to come. And that's what God has called us to do in this, in this earth today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for making us part of this story that we have in, the, in, the, in, our, in our earth today. Lord, we just ask that you would, uh, that we would read your word, that we would meditate on it, that we would call, call upon you. Help us to know it. Help us to be uh, following Christ wherever he leads. We thank you for what you've given to us. We ask you to just bless the time we've, we come together here today. And we just, as we, as we prepare for communion this morning, knowing that that is our association with Christ, we can commune with him. We can commune with you. We can bring our, wor- our, our, our petitions, our thoughts directly to you, Lord, because, because, you, because of Christ has interceded for us. We thank you for that, and we just praise, praise you, and we thank you for this time, and we pray in his name. Amen.